From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Football was hungry for a win last week in the Swamp against anyone, and they got that against Samford. Meanwhile, basketball was specifically seeking a streak-busting win against Florida State, and they found that magic in the Odome to snap the seven-year skid. On today's show, FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry join us to discuss football's unexpected shootout, Emory Jones' record-setting performance, the challenges awaiting at Missouri, basketball's narrative-setting victory over the Seminoles, and sports figures most deserving of the big-screen treatment in the PAT. Then, sophomore Gervon Dexter joins us to discuss how he's taking cues and learning from fellow defensive lineman Zach Carter, handling expectations as a five-star recruit, and much more. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. We got a lot of good stuff on the Gator Roundtable today. Obviously, uh, some some big news going on with basketball. Let's start with football, though. We've got Chris here. We've got Scott Carter. Guys, it it was a weird game in the Swamp last week. Florida did beat Samford. But it was certainly not the way people thought it was going to be. Um, but, again, when you're where Florida is right now, you want to win. They did that and ultimately scored a ton of points in the process. Yeah, if you like uh, touchdowns, that was your game, Adam. A lot of touchdowns in that game. Uh, obviously, no one saw a 70-52 to 52 game uh, with Florida and Sanford in the swamp. Um the Gators survived, uh, you know, coming off of that South Carolina loss. Uh, it's pretty easy to imagine the the week's mood around the around the football program in here, and uh, they needed something good, and it, there was nothing really much good happening in the uh, first half defensively. I mean, they gave up 42 points. That's a the most ever allowed in a half by a Gators team. And I'll be honest with you, when in the second half, even when when Sanford collected that when they recovered that onside kick in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, they're going to lose this game. I mean, it's just, it just seemed to be going that way. Uh, and yet the Gators give the offense credit because the, as bad as the defense, I think looked at times, I thought the offense executed at a pretty high level led by Emory Jones, who had a record setting day, what 464 yards passing 550 yards of total offense breaking Tim Tebow's record. So, it's just one of those games you're not going to forget if you're a Florida fan or if you were in the stadium that day. It was that kind of game. Uh, were a lot of Gator fans happy afterwards? No, not really. Uh, you give up 52 points to Sanford. Uh, they're not going to be happy, but at the same time, they scored 70. So that's 18 more than Sanford had. They got the win. And I think at this point where we are in the season, Adam, uh, where this Florida team is with everything that's kind of swirling around it, they got the most important thing they could have gotten. That was a win. And now they'll go on the road to Missouri and they play at home against Florida State. They still need to win another game to be bowl eligible. I think it's fair to say at this point, they're both of those games are probably coin flips. So we'll all see together if, uh, if they can do it and, and finish on a strong note and uh, get a couple more wins. You know, m- much was made about the, the celebration in the locker room after the game. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting just from, from the player standpoint, like the players want to win, right? They hadn't won in a long time. They won. They wanted to celebrate that. Uh, understanding, you know, optics are going to be, a, you know, people are always going to take things a certain way, depending on what your perspective is, who you are. But from the player standpoint, they needed to win a game and they won a game and, and they wanted to, to celebrate that. You know, I guess Florida outscored them. Scott, help me out here. Was it 42 to 10 in the second half? Uh, 35 to 10. 35 to 10. Let's say the final score had been 70 to 20 and they're jumping around. Nobody would have said a word about it. It was the, you use the word perfectly, Adam, and you reference it optics or whatever. And, and, and fans didn't like optics, the, the optics of that 
you know, uh, but you know what? Fans aren't in the locker room and fans reality is different than players reality. And you also said when you, in that intro that you just threw at me, you know, they hadn't won in a while. You're right. They hadn't won in five weeks. So that was, you know, if you can't celebrate that, then come on, give me, give me a break. And, and people say, well, you know, uh, you shouldn't feel good about that. And, and I, and I remember, you know, when Steve Spurrier's teams would look bad and he would come in after the game and he would go at his team a little bit and say some negative and say some negative remarks and everything. But usually when he did that, they were nine and one or something. Okay. Okay. They they just, they just came back and won a game that they were losing by two touchdowns. And to Scott's point, you know, they, a lot of people in the stadium thought they're going to lose the game and would have been a horrible loss. Yeah. uh, It it would have eclipsed Georgia Southern as the, as, as the worst loss in program history, I think, but they didn't lose a game. And I think if you look on social media and you see someone like Zach Carter or some of these other players saying, say what you want, we're going to celebrate wins. I mean, that just goes to show you that their, like I said, their reality is different than fans' reality. And that was, there was something positive they wanted to take out. And positivity is going to carry uh, forward for these guys, or at least, at least that's the intent of it. And this is not an easy game this weekend against Missouri. There are no gimmies anywhere. Florida State coming in the following week. Florida's had all kinds of problems going to Missouri before. Okay. They've had some ugly losses there. And they, Missouri's come to Florida Field and, handed Florida some ugly losses also. So they're looking for something to hang their hat on. And if I'm exiting that game, they won the game, they scored 70 points. And a couple weeks ago when everybody wanted uh, 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 Emory Jones's head on a a stick, okay, the guy like shattered Tim Tebow records and stuff, okay? And he's he's now in in history books. And I I had people – Tweeting me, go, you know, that it's embarrassing that he did it in these games. So I saw Doug Johnson throw uh, seven touchdowns and Terry Dean throw seven touchdowns against Northern Illinois or whoever the Gators were playing in the first game of the season. Those are school records. Emory Jones threw six in this game against Sanford, whatever. Um, but Emory Jones is probably a more confident player right now. Okay. After having a stat game like that, maybe that's what he needed. At this point, positivity is, is, is a good thing. And I know from a fan standpoint, they don't want positivity. Now they want change. Okay. This isn't the time for change right now. If there's time for change, it'll come. It'll come when the time is right. But uh, they don't determine when the, when that time is right. That's determined by much higher powers than them. And so uh, let's, let, let's enjoy that win. I know it's hard for Gator fans sometimes to enjoy wins, uh, especially that one. Um, what is it the saying Pat Dooley says no one suffers success like Gator fans um, uh, I've heard so, that <laughs> yeah so uh, be Pat's one of Pat's best lines <laughs> yes no no question about it but uh let's see what happens in Missouri this week because it, that that is that is a challenge I don't know what the what's the weather report Scott it's not it's supposed to be terrible right no it's supposed to be chilly but not iced over anything but pleasant like pleasant pleasant yeah, yeah. chilly right Missouri Typical uh, late November Missouri weather. Yeah, weather is always interesting in Missouri, uh, especially if you go there during January or February in basketball season. It is very cold. Hopefully it's not terrible here in, in mid-November. Uh, but I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the quarterbacks, guys, and and two points on it. Um, the first of which is, again, we understand and and I you know we fuel it in a lot of cases right the narratives around who is the guy who is who is next right and and to the credit of Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson those guys have both been just unwaveringly supportive of each other no matter what and I thought it was really cool that Richardson basically went to, to Dan Mullen during the game and said, no, don't put me in. I want Emory to go break this record. I mean, he, what's to say what happens? Like, this doesn't mean, oh, like, they're both going to stay. But it really says a lot about these guys as teammates, the way that they've supported each other. And on top of that, Scott, and I know this is something that, that you wanted to mention, um, the way that they've handled the incoming from from fans and the way that they've had to deal with it from their, you know, dealing with their families. I mean, this is this is a complex situation. It's a pressure cooker job being the Florida quarterback, and they both have done, I think, about as well as you can in terms of how to handle that. Yeah, and you know, it's it has been a, an unusual season in that regard. Uh, the quarterback, even before the season, kind of spiraled downward. I mean, there was still some quarterback controversy, questions, whatever you want to call it, early in the season. 
right from the get-go uh, after those first couple of games. And it's been it's just lingered all year. And to see Emory Jones go out and do what he did against Sanford, like Chris said, the guy, I mean, that's a huge confidence builder. And, you know, Dan Mullen said he's going to continue to start. So, I mean, he certainly earned that. You're not going to bench a guy after throwing for 464 yards and six touchdowns. First game uh, but, without a turn. First game for the offense without a turnover, correct? Yeah, it was yeah. first mm-hmm. game without mm-hmm. a turnover. And you know, speaking of the dynamic between those two guys, and a lot of times, and I'm, I'll raise my hand. I'm number one on this list sometimes. I see, you know, go, both guys say publicly how you know they're supporting each other. You see that a lot in sports. And sometimes you kind of roll your eyes because then the season ends and you hear something or another teammate says something, and maybe it wasn't really like that. I think we've seen a, a body of work between these two guys. It's really like that. It, it goes to that point that you're talking about what Anthony Richardson came over to Mullen uh, and said, hey, keep Emory in. You know, he's close to this record. And Emory said, you know, tell the guy to go in and play. I don't care about the record. <laughs> and then, you know, we're in the post-game uh, press conference uh, in person, thankfully, uh, for the first time all year. And, you know, while we're down there, uh, Anthony Richardson's already on social media tweeting out support of Emory after that record-breaking performance. So they asked Emory about it. And, you know, he chuckled about it. So that's Anthony. I mean, that's real what you've seen for us uh, this year. So it, it is something that's been kind of unique to watch in this season. And Garrick McKee, the, the quarterback's coach, he, he – he, you know, you're talking about Emory, how he's handled everything this year. He, he said one thing about Emory, he's learned the guy is really mature. Emory told him a story where he gets his perspective from. And Emory told him about, you know, one time being on the field with, you know, on the sideline with Felipe Franks, but Felipe Franks were, was still here. And Emory was the popular backup. And Franks was the guy who was starting, but it wasn't exactly making fans – excited every game like I guess someone wanted. So he remembered fans yelling down on the field where Felipe could easily hear too. Like, get Felipe out of there. We want to see Jones. And They're standing right there beside each other. So he says he's seen both sides. He understands that, you know, some people are yelling now for Anthony Richardson to play. But he said he always just remembered that and shared that story with McKee. And, you know, McKee was talking about also, I mean, He's had to talk with Emory and his mom this year because early in the year, uh, his mom, you know, some fans actually said stuff to her in the stands and how to deal with that. And, you know, that's a little over the line in my book. I can't yeah. imagine ever yelling at a player's mom about her son who's maybe not meeting my expectations on the field. But, you know, those are the dynamics that have been in play all year. And I think they have handled it pretty well. And, uh, you know, I got to give a hat tip to Emory. I mean, I, I think his maturity has shown, and he's he's getting better. Uh, Chris mentioned it. The key to everything that he did on Saturday was no turnovers. And McKee said that's one lesson he's had to learn. There was a game earlier this year where he, he took 60 snaps. 54 of those snaps were excellent. He had six bad ones. That's all that anybody remembered and. He's, he, you know, that's the, that's what it's playing a quarterback at University of Florida. That's that's life, and that's what McKee's helped him kind of understand. And he's taken better care of the ball. That fumble at South Carolina was one that they pointed out that was a costly one. He comes back in the next game and didn't turn it over. So we'll see if he can continue uh, on that at Missouri Saturday. I remember when the when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had a back and forth quarterback situation between. Uh, Trent Dilfer and Casey Weldon and, uh, you know, their support for each other in the media and all this stuff. And uh, then they had a, a fist fight on the golf course when they were playing together. So, <laughs> so it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, if, if, so it, it, if, so it could be way worse, right? <laughs> it could be way worse. And if, if Anthony and Emory have a have a uh, fight on the golf course later this year, and Emory did reveal this, this week that he actually played golf recently, and while he was out there golfing, Cannon Mullen, Dan's son, actually started giving him some golf tips because he's a really good golfer. But if him and Anthony fight after the season on the golf course, then we all know this has not been maybe what it's presented. But I think as we record this, I'm pretty confident it's real. <laughs> um, 
it's obviously a huge test against Missouri. Uh, you noted a few minutes ago, Scott, Florida's had a lot of troubles there. In good times, Florida has struggled at Missouri when things aren't in the state they are now. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Missouri runs the ball really well. That's been a huge problem for the Gators. Uh, well, you know, in a week's time, we'll, we'll have that conversation and see where things are going into, into Florida State. Um, but speaking of Florida State, basketball took on the Seminoles a few days ago. And, you know, Chris, streaks have a way of taking on a life of their own when they get to a certain length. And, and seven years is a long time. Um, so I, I don't know what the expectations were going into this game. I want to say that they probably weren't great because people didn't know a lot about this very new Florida team with all these new faces. So to not only to break the streak, but to do it at home and to do it as emphatically as they did has to be one of the better moments for this basketball program in, in quite some time. Yeah, and I would say name me a better one. Uh, Chris Chioza's shot at Wisconsin. I'm talking about in the Mike White era. Yeah, that's, um, probably, that's probably the answer. That probably is the answer. Um, uh, they beat West. They beat the hell out of West Virginia in 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 2016 in the SEC Challenge. I right? had a big win at West Virginia last year, but um, no. I mean, when you think you talk about streaks and the the difference with this particular one, um, it they always happened at the beginning of the season. So that control that that dictates narrative. Right. So narrative, they can't be Florida State. So now now there's a bunch of negativity all around um, in, t- in terms from the fans or whatever. And they because because they, they know when 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 Billy was here, he had a pretty good record against FSU. Um uh, anyway, so to get back to the game, if someone had stuck a gun to my head before that game and said, pick, pick a winner, I mean, I would have had a hard time, okay, just knowing how that Florida State program has developed and, and w- what their identity is and how Florida has played against, I would have had a hard time saying that Florida was going to win the game, even though it was at home. The last two games, Florida played them at home. Uh, F- Florida got killed. I mean, the last four games that uh, the Gators have played against Florida State, the average margin of victory bid 15 and a half points. Um, but let me tell you something, okay? Uh, I What I also would – I would have couched that answer by saying, I think these guys are wired a little differently, um, but I haven't seen him on the court other than see him play against Embry Riddle and, 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 and Elon. All right. Yeah. How are they going to mesh in a game like this that they know they feel, and they have no, they have no sense. They have a sense of it because it's Florida, Florida state. They know the words. They don't know what, they don't know what the rivalry really means because they haven't played the game. Mm-hmm. You know, Myron Jones couldn't care less about that. He's, you know, he, Pitt was a big uh, out of conference rivalry for him probably. Um, I and God only knows what my what uh, out of conference rivalry was for Charlton Southern, maybe College of Charleston for God's sakes. I don't know, but I'm saying I wouldn't have been able to tell you how they were going to react. But I w- I would have told you that Florida was going to be big, fast, athletic, long, and they were going to get up in your uh, in your face on defense. Well, just flip it around, okay? Except the big and long stuff because Florida is not big and long, but they basically ripped Florida state's face off the last 10 minutes of the game. And if you're a Gator fan, it must've been so exciting to see something like that because the faces were different. You didn't know Myron Jones was going to play. You certainly didn't. You didn't know Brandon McKissick was going to do this. You didn't know what Flandres Fleming was capable of, but what, when you, when you saw them get on that role and get a little bit of that killer instinct on them, they stepped on their throat. Okay. And in the past, I don't know. I don't know that would have happened. So I think these guys are wired a little differently. Remember, these four transfers don't know success in any stretch of the imagination except personal success. They were they gathered stats. Their 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 numbers looked really good for themselves, but they weren't on any winning teams of any note. I mean, none of them have ever played in an NCAA tournament game. None of them have ever wow. played in an NIT game. Uh, so, so this, so that's the baseline from which they're operating. So they were hungry for this game. They appreciated it. I think the, the questions that were lobbed out of Florida, State, Florida, this is, you know, they know Florida state last five years, one of the best has been one of the best programs in the country, an ACC powerhouse. Okay. And to do that, to beat them by 16 in the second game of the year, um, it's a tone setter. Now, can they, can they manage uh, the the euphoria from that 
how are they going to handle prosperity? Because this program has had the last few years has had some moments where they've had great wins and following them up with horrific losses. Well, again, I go back. I don't know how they're going to handle it because I haven't seen it, but I go back to this. What I just said is these guys are different. They enjoyed that the other day. I, 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 I talked to them a bunch this week and I thought, well, what'd you think? I have a man. That was an incredible environment. I hope it's like that all the time. I go, what, what if it's not like that? I don't know. We, we just love playing here. You know, six guys accounted for 186 minutes of the 200 minutes available. Um, Florida needs to figure out some things with regards to their bench. Uh, I don't think guys can play that much time, but I do think at some point um, minutes can minute distribution get a little bit overrated. I do think they need to find one or two more guys that can give five or six minutes. And one guy, the one can is CJ Felder only played two minutes of the game. He's a kid from Boston college, second in the ACC in block shots last year. He can play defense. He's physical, uh, limited offensively. Um, Mike White didn't put him in the game because he just thought that everyone was playing too well. And he, it, he has a pretty good pulse on the team, it would seem. But to your point, it, it, it is as good of a win here. I go back to – they beat Auburn by 22 when Auburn was fourth in the country um, two years ago. This, this one blows it away, in my opinion, just because of the, of the albatross that was, that was hanging over the head because, because it was Florida State and because of the way Florida State had just manhandled Florida the last few years. Yeah, I think narrative goes a long way too, and and I think a, a couple it was it a couple years ago Florida had all of that preseason hype, and then I think the opener was against Florida State, and they were beaten pretty soundly, and that just that changed the whole conversation around the season. Like right off the bat, it was lots of hype and excitement. Then one game against Florida State, boom, it's going to be a bad year. So to your point, it's yeah, it's about it's not only is it about the albatross, it's about the timing of it and the moment right now for this program and the need to have that kind of feeling and that kind of energy. Yeah. You're pointing to, it was the Kerry Blackshear Scott uh, yes, transfers yes. in. It was the Trey man, Scotty Lewis, freshman game. Uh, the other, the three other guys, Nemhard, Locke and Keontae were coming back for their sophomores. That was the second game of the season. And it did absolutely undercut the, the, what, what any kind of positivity that was going on because of the way the game unfolded. But they don't want to worry about it now. I mean, they were, that's the year they were six in the country, mm-hmm. and 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 got beaten down. Uh, it scored fifty-one points. Well, this team scored seventy-one points against a team note, noted for defense. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well. I don't know if this is a great shooting team. I think I made that point here, but uh, they can they move the ball so much better. They're doing they're doing some stuff with uh, with their defense, uh, playing more to the two-two-one mentality pick up a little bit, three-quarter court, put put some pressure. It's the kind of stuff that Mike was doing at Louisiana Tech. Maybe he feels more confident that the these are the kind of mindset guys, hungry guys, savage-like guys that can play to that kind of mentality. And he's also done some – rolling out some subtle kind of defensive things they haven't done before that uh, I think I, – I can – I'm pretty confident to say that I don't think Leonard Hamilton uh, was was ready for some of the things they did in this game. You know, another angle to this is uh, the guy who got the game ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those that don't know, it was Keontae Johnson. Chris, you wrote about this, and a lot of people really highlighted the, the full circle nature of this, that while Keontae is, is still not back on the court, and we don't know if and when he will be, um, the significance of him being there on the bench, being a part of this team a year, almost a year after his whole life changed, was obviously very significant. Yeah, and you could tell how significant it was both to the team and, and to Keontae. Uh, the, the hug that he shared with Mike White right after the, the game um, spoke volumes in the locker room. There's some videos out there on social media. Mike White gave him the game ball. It just meant a lot to the guys. I mean, and you're talking about guys, and again, I go back to the four transfers. They weren't here last year. They didn't right. have to deal with that stuff. Right. But it, it meant a lot to them too because Keontae means a lot to them. He's around all the time. I mean, he's ubiquitous and he was on the bench going back and forth celebrating with these guys. And it means something to him. And I don't know if you saw his, his, his mom tweeted out after the game, uh, you know, thanks be to God or something like it. You know, just, just with a picture of him, he's celebrating with, the, with his team. Cause so um, it's, 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 it's obvious something like that is going to uh, engender 
um, and emote things, uh, not only external, not only internally, but externally also. And that was something that was really, really good to see. And something, I think it was 316 days in, in, in the making since that, uh, that's a collapse in Tallahassee last year. Uh, Chris, you mentioned, you know, now it's about what comes next and how do they handle success? What does come next? Tell us about the next week in the, in the lives of the Gators. Right out of the box and, and, Thursday they play Milwaukee. They the formerly known as Wisconsin Milwaukee, birthplace of uh, Bruce Pearl's coaching career. Yes, that's right. Here comes Wisconsin Milwaukee Thursday night at six o'clock, and you know who else is coming uh, Thursday night six o'clock? Forty NBA scouts, including several general managers, will be there because I'm sure the audience knows that Wisconsin Milwaukee boast uh, a player who was number the number one recruit in the country last season until he uh, turned his ankle and lost for the season his high school year. And he was about to pick between Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, and pick Wisconsin, Milwaukee. So he could – this kid's name is Patrick Baldwin Jr. He decided that he was going to play his college basketball with Patrick Baldwin Sr., the coach at Wisconsin Milwaukee. I was waiting and, for the kicker. I was waiting for like where <laughs> where is this story? How is this story going to make sense? Anyway, <laughs> this is a nearly six ten uh, uh, guard, okay, who shoots step back threes, uh, just remarkably skilled. Now they they he hasn't played particularly. He didn't play particularly well in his first two games, but he has the Gators' attention. So. Um, that's a good thing. You're coming off a game like that. This is normally a, a game against Milwaukee would normally be a bye game. This, this game was scheduled before Patrick Baldwin Jr., who they call PBJ up there, uh, actually signed with, uh, with the Milwaukee Panthers. So there's this game. Then Florida will turn around and go down to Fort Myers for a tournament next week. The, one of their, the, every year they try to play a Thanksgiving tournament. They get Cal, which is not a very good team on Monday night. And then uh, if they win that game or, who, or, or no matter what happens after that game, they'll either play Ohio State or Seton Hall. You know Ohio State's good. They're good every year. Uh, Seton Hall uh, beat Michigan uh, earlier this week, fourth-ranked Michigan in Ann Arbor. Uh, so, that'll be, so we'll have a pretty good darn uh, litmus test through the first three weeks of the basketball season as to where these guys are where this uh, latest Mike White team is and where this collection of – I like I like team transfer. It just got good alliter- alliteration to it. I don't know if they like it, <laughs> but uh, – uh, except I think everybody's just about team transfer now anyway. But I like this group. They're, they're, they're connected. They like each other. And, again, only six guys played the bulk of those minutes. I'm not talking – when I say bulk of the minutes, only 14 reserve minutes went – but the energy on the bench, the guys were jumping up and down. The guys who didn't play were happy. And uh, that speaks to uh, a likability among those guys that uh, that sometimes is rare when you get in that kind of competitive situation. And if they keep winning, you can probably call them whatever you want. And they'll be happy. Team transfer, team whatever. If you win, uh, everyone's happy. There you <laughs> that, go. There yeah, you go. it tends to be the way things go. Um, I want to move on to our PAT now, and it's inspired by uh, a movie that's coming out, which you guys know I, I'm frequently inspired by movies. Uh, so this week, in theaters and on HBO Max, King Richard, which is the biopic about Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena, being played by Will Smith, that is going to come out. It's supposed to be really, really good. Lots of Oscar talk for Will Smith. Um I wouldn't have naturally thought of Richard Williams as a guy to make a movie about, but they did. And as you go down the line, there have been a lot of major, most of the biggest figures in sports have had movies made about them in some form or another. But there's obviously, there's still, there's always more fertile ground to mine. So what I want to know from you guys and your vast experience of characters who you, maybe guys you know more about because you worked with them or you, you covered them than other people would know there's much to it. Who needs their story told on the big screen that has not already had that opportunity? Well, I mean, it's, there's a lot of worst thing about sports biopics, whatever you want to call them. A lot of them are not that, that good. I mean, like, you know, the one on Beirut that had John Goodman in it, I didn't think was great. Ty Cobb, Tommy Lee Jones was okay. Uh, you know, I didn't like Jackie Robinson. I know that one got a lot of pub, the HBO film. And these are all baseball. I thought that was okay. But I don't know, they were always Wait, just lack. You didn't like the Jackie Robinson movie with Chadwick Boseman? I thought it was okay. I mean, it was, it was just, oh, it was just okay, Adam. 
I like something that has like I, I to me the guy that is above all others. If you really tell his true story, it's fascinating. Pete Rose. I mean, the guy is a great, great baseball player. We know that. But he's also a uh, kind of a, I don't know, a, a human being with a lot of flaws. Is that how you can say it? <laughs> and those flaws would be fascinating if done properly in a film. Uh, so, I mean, he's the one that it would be at the top of my list. Now, another one, this is going back a little ways. But I would I would like because I've read a lot about him, uh, Hollywood Henderson, the former Dallas Cowboy, uh, drug problems. Now I think he, he's a born again Christian coaching somewhere. But Bill Walsh, I remember reading Bill Walsh's book one time, and they were trying to sign with the 49ers. He kept going to the bathroom. And Bill Walsh was so naive he didn't realize he kept going to the bathroom to snort cocaine. So, I mean, you know that Hollywood Henderson is one of those guys that sticks out in my mind. Uh, it's usually going to be, let's face it, guys who are only are not only great in athletics in some form in their sport, but also are kind of like the rest of us. They're flawed. I mean, a guy like uh, LeBron James, uh, would he make a good sports biopic to me? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's a great story, but... Yeah, you I, have to have an interesting life story. It can't just be you were a great athlete. You have to have... There has to have been some really unique events on the front end or on the back end. It can't just be that yeah. you were a great athlete. To me, the obvious is it's Bruce Jenner. I mean, you, you said something at the beginning of their life and at the end of their life. I mean, people write great screenplays. There's always conflict. There has to be a lot of conflict in there somewhere. Um, but I mean, the people that were alive back then, and I was, Bruce Jenner was the greatest athlete in the world. And now he's a woman and married a bunch of Kardashians. And you can't tell me some, you can't tell me Aaron Sorkin can't do something with that. Okay. If he really, if he really, really wanted to, I will say, I saw a trailer. There's a movie coming out about Kurt Warner. By the I way. was just going to bring that up, which yes. again, that's, but that, that's an example, right? That's, you can't just do a movie about him because he won a Super Bowl. A lot of people won a Super Bowl. No, it's about him working a in a grocery store. He was at a grocery store. Right. right. And right. That, yeah. yeah. Those, are and those scenes, that, are the, yeah. those scenes are in the, those scenes are in the trailer and what have you. So, yeah. Um, and it's probably going to be an uplifting story, which you won't sometimes out of your sports heroes. Yeah. Uh, I think the more serious, Critical movies are going to be more like what Chris is talking about, or a Pete Rose story. Or how about a Dennis Rodman's movie? Dennis oh, Rodman, yeah, yeah, That's, yeah for one. sure. Yeah. I'm actually really surprised there hasn't been something done on Rodman. He would be very, very interesting character. I heard someone since some since the the Last Dance, somebody's either writing a book or maybe I, this might have just popped in my head because I read either either someone's writing a book or going to do a movie about Dennis Rodman's. Uh, trip to Las Vegas during the season. I, yeah. I, I, I actually read that somewhere and I don't know who's going to play him. <laughs> I also saw Jamie Foxx is doing a movie. He's going to play uh, Mike Tyson. And if you've ever seen his impersonation, yeah. Mike Tyson, it is freaking dead on. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Tyson, yeah, that's Tyson's another great example of a that's guy right. who's got right. so much around that's his right. athletic career and then what it becomes too is the how many people do you, is it hard when it's someone who's still alive and very present in culture that that makes it that makes it tougher I think yeah but I, I don't know we'll, we'll see how it's handled Tyson's already a movie star in The Hangover so it's hard right to... right so then you so then does that end with someone playing Mike Tyson in The Hangover that's where I don't know mm. how meta you get with this you know right we'll see what movies end up being made but uh, Hollywood. They have our number. They know how to find us, and we've now given them some uh, some very rich ideas to, to potentially pursue. Uh, but in the short term, I can tell you that there may not be a movie about Scott Carter and Chris Harry, but they will be putting out content on FloridaGators.com. Chris, of course, will be following everything going on with basketball, and Scott will be with football as they try and finish out strong. We will see how things go at Missouri. We'll see how things go with basketball, handling that prosperity, and we will talk about it next week. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. All right, thanks, Adam. When it comes to recruiting rankings, stars are often awarded not necessarily on results, but on potential. Gervon Dexter was a star on the basketball court long before he ventured onto the football field, but given his combination of size and speed, programs all over the country were salivating at his potential. 
We spoke to the Polk County native about his journey to Gainesville and lessons learned along the way, beginning with the start of his athletic career. Uh, I started playing sports, uh, Police Athletic League, which is uh, PAL, uh, I would say probably fourth grade, basketball, fourth grade. Basketball was the first love, is that right? Yeah, for sure, yeah. All right, so yeah, so did you just dominate? Were you just so much bigger than guys? Like how? What what made basketball uh, the the sport for you at least early on? I would say, like you said, just me hitting my growth spurt early and just being bigger and more uh, developed than the others. Yeah, I feel like a lot of guys end up playing football. Uh, <laughs> the story I often get is they'll say, "Well, someone saw me and said you're big. You should come play football." Uh, how yeah. were you? How were you recruited from uh, from the basketball court onto onto the the football field? Uh, so basically, at high school, uh, my coach just came. I had a, a real good relationship with the football coach already prior to playing football, but he just kept coming to me and kept saying, "Try it out" and stuff like that, and then. He just kept coming up, and he was like, just come out and give Spring a shot. And I just gave it a shot in Spring and kind of blew up from there and just started getting better and actually falling in love with, with uh, getting better. Were you instantly a, a, a lineman? Like, did you start playing? Were you, did you want to be a skill position guy? But they said, no, you yeah. got to go in the line. No, nah, nah, I was always uh, <laughs> on the line, yeah, for sure. So I, I feel like a lot of linemen I talked to, a lot of them started on the offensive side, then they switched to defense, or they started on defense, and then they go to the offensive side. Uh, were you always a defensive lineman, or did you or did you, you switch back and forth? Uh, I kind of, I would say I started off, actually, I started off playing H-back, uh, just a little bit, just like trying it out, but I, I, at the same time, I also was playing um, defensive line, so... It was never no like really just one side thing. I tried a little bit H back, but that really didn't work out for me. So you, you talked about that that love, especially early on having it for basketball, and then it then it became a love for football. Um, when did you really commit to the idea that football was going to be your future and get to you know the, the places where where you are now? I would say just like as soon as I started playing, I just noticed how good I could be and just started watching film on some of the greater players, even some of the uh, good players I was in college at the time. And as I seen like how, how, how I could be that, I think that's, uh, that's about when I kind of realized that I needed to take it a little more serious and where it can take me in life. Who were, who were some of those guys that you watch? I mean, you mentioned guys that were playing at the time, players at the next level. Who were some of the people you, you took inspiration from? Um, people like I would say Chris Jones and and Miles and even like on the college level at the time it was Chase and even Zach Carter, just like several people like that. Well, that so you play with Zach Carter now. So what's right. it like? What's it like playing with one of the guys who you watched when you were you know trying to get better, but before you were even uh, on on the team? Uh, I say I say it's like that's always a blessing, just because. I, I get to learn from him every day, just like sitting beside him in meetings and 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 just watching him on, on on the field. Even sometimes when he's right beside me, just like noticing some things. Like like Zach has like Zach is real, uh, very football. He has uh, a lot of football knowledge. So even just picking up on some things and just noticing, like sometimes Zach can already know like it's a run before the play, and I just like pre snap reads. I just act like how 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 well he do it. I just take it from him and just like ask him, hey, how did you know that? And little stuff like that. And I'll pick up on that. So I would say it's a, it's, a, it's a real big blessing to be playing beside Zach. And I'm just soaking it all in before it's time to go. Mm. Um, so obviously, you know, you're a Gator now. The road to getting there, what do you remember about recruiting? Mm-hmm. What was that process like when that got started for you? I feel like it was an easy, it was an easy um, recruitment because I kind of always – always love love the Gators. Um, but even with Coach Mullen coming in, it made it a lot, a lot more easier because just his honesty with me and just how hard he recruited me and some some things that he he told me and some like like some truthful, honest answers that he gave me. And it's just it just was a uh, it was a lot easier than it would look on the outside. Um of course I had like some of the bigger schools that 
came in towards the end that made it a little harder, that at least tried to make it a lot harder or a little harder. But I would say it was just – it was a lot easier than it, it would look on the outside just because I just – like I said, I just wanted to focus on being a football player and not trying to get the most followers and, and, and all of that. It's funny you say that because I feel like pretty consistently when I've talked to your teammates, they all say that during the recruiting process that this coaching staff, they they weren't afraid to tell it like it is. And maybe mm-hmm. if that was even telling you something you aren't great at, right? They weren't just sitting there right. blowing smoke and saying, you're the best thing ever. You're going to be a star. I mean, what does that say about the staff and, and how has that helped you grow that from day one, they were honest with you about where you were at and, and where they could try to take you? Um, I feel like that's the, that should be like the main step in life. I feel like you shouldn't go to a school um, just based on what the coach is telling you, like, like just telling you how good you are. Because, I mean, once you get here, um, in all honesty, it's never going to be that. Like, you know what I mean? So I feel like that's the main step. Why would you go somewhere where you're going to be lied to? So I feel like you should always, like, trust. Like, a lot of these kids, a lot of these coaches are are telling them now just everything they want to hear and how good they are up until they they get in, they get to college. And that's why two months later or a year or two later, they in the transfer portal because of that situation. So I feel like, I feel like that's the, that's the biggest thing. I feel like just honesty and how honest coach Mullen and his staff and coach Turner, they all were to me and it's still the same thing. Uh, same. I'm still being just coached up on all the things I need to be coached up on and being told the truth. So when when you came to the program, I know we we talked about about Zach Carter a second ago. Was he immediately a mentor for you, or, or did you have to work your way up to get to him? Did you, did you have to start with someone else before you got to to work with Zach? Uh, I feel like it was a group of guys last year that took me in just just because um, I had to play a little a, a little more than other freshmen had to. So I feel like um, like a, a big thing in the D line room is. We you gotta trust the person beside you. So I feel like the uh D uh the older guys in the D line room kind of knew that I'll be one of the uh freshmen that would have to play earlier. So I feel like that was a big thing and, and that uh, they felt like we should take him in and, and, and move him. When you work with the older guys, I mean what is it that you learn from them? Is it what do you talk about? Is it about like technique? Is it about culture what can the older guys help you with and and have they helped you with during your time i would say um each older guy kind of gave me a little something different like um i would say like tadero slayton tj um he gave me kind of a kind of a like a welcome to college like he almost was like the coaching style told me everything honest like me coming in as a five-star like a lot of when you come in as a five-star oh, at other schools and even at Florida, you kind of got like a chip on your shoulder. TJ kind of let me know a little earlier, like all that, all that is gone. Now it's time to work and actually show who you are. Like you're not no five-star, you actually nobody. It was like a message <laughs> that TJ kind of, kind of uh, gave to me early. And then guys like Kyrie and, and, and Marlon Dunlap, they kind of like was a little more like Marlon was always helping me out with just, let me know like I had to learn the plays like I, I need to know what to do and then Kyrie of course just teaching me like kind of like a, a, on a life standpoint and just let me know what like how, how do I need to approach uh, the certain people and how I need to approach, approach the game and then coming from Zach he was like every one of those like he had every one of those he knew what to do like all of those so he was all, all of those in one so um, that's kind of how the older guys took, took me in. You talked about being a five star and, and the pressures that come with that. Um, is it is it what you expected? I mean, is it something that has it stuck with you? Or when when they like you know told you, well, you're no star now. Do you still feel like you have something to prove as a five star, or does that go away once recruiting is over? Um, I feel like I feel like um, some guys still still uh, take that. I with me, I, I never really took the stars as serious as, as some some others will. I never really cared about a star or not. I just really care about uh, getting better because, honestly, I felt like if, if we had to do stars at the time in high school, I probably was a three-star. But because at um, every camp and stuff I went to, I dominated. It was, okay, he's a five-star, but I feel like my, my development then and, and things that, like, the little things that I didn't really know I feel like my natural ability was as a five-star uh, 
um, five-star ability, but I didn't have the, you know, so I wasn't a, actually a five-star football player. So I never really looked at it as that. I just, you know, as getting better and just coming to college and getting better. I wasn't really, really too much interested in the stars and stuff like that, though. Yeah, I've always been interested when on the, on the practice field, uh, the, the matchups and the ways you get better when you're working against teammates. Uh, I was curious, which offensive linemen are the toughest to get past in practice? Which guys do you really battle with uh, and you know are giving the opposing defensive tackles a, a tough time? Um, I would say um, all of them actually like this 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 year. Last year, I have, I, um, I feel like um, Brett Heggie got me a lot better. Even um, Kingsley is almost the exact same as Brett Hagee. And then um, Josh Bryan, even um, as a freshman, Austin Barber, and then all of them. I, I, I would say it's not really really uh, one that's not. I feel like um, as those got, like they, they play together and they're tight. And I feel like, well, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, most definitely Kingsley and um, Big Bron for sure, yeah. Do you keep score in your head? I mean, I'm thinking if it were me, right? I'm 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 competing, right? So I'm gonna keep track. Okay, today I got one today. Maybe you get one tomorrow. Do you keep a, a mental track of uh, of who's up and who's down in in practice? No, I don't. I just I'm like I said, I'm just trying to get better at, at on myself. I'm not really focused on wins and losses. I'm just really focusing on just getting better yeah. at that point because I know once I once I get better, it'll be a hundred to zero. So I'm just focusing on getting better, really. Uh, so this is your second year. And obviously last year you were playing in a, a swamp that was not the, the normal swamp, right? It was COVID. It was reduced capacity. What was it like this year when you got into the swamp for the first time when it was full? What was that experience like and how much different was it from last year? Uh, it was a, a real big, big, big difference. Just, I mean, like I never been anywhere. I've seen anything like it. So it was a real big difference. Um, just like not even like being able to hear the plays or like hear anything or hear uh, what the linebackers are saying behind us sometimes. So it was a big, it was a big um, experience. So I would say the biggest thing, that was one of the biggest, actually one of my biggest transitions from last year to this year is just being, being able to play in front of 90,000. Another big change from last year this year is some of the, the pieces you added through the transfer portal on the defensive line, specifically Antonio and also Daquan. Uh, what have those guys brought to the D-line, especially personality-wise? Those are some big personalities. I would say they both brought something um, totally different. Uh, Daquan, is, he's from right there from Orlando, so he, he's kind of familiar with being like the uh, Florida vibe, so he bought like 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 kind of like something that was like already there almost, and just him just being a like somebody who was used to playing in the um, SEC and somebody who could who could also come in and step in and be a a, a leader just by knowing um, what it takes to win in the SEC. And then also we had um, Tone Valentino. Um, he he also brings the same thing just just because he came from a, a winning program and just being able to to lead and he knows a lot about football and just also knows a, knows a lot about life so he also brought in as a, another older guy who can lead off the, on and off the field so yeah that was a good feeling having those two guys so i was checking out your your twitter feed before we talked and you go by the gorilla all caps on the gorilla uh yeah. what is the what's the backstory to uh, to that nickname uh, I just like like gorillas, just their aggressiveness and 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 just what like I was just watching. I, I forget what I was watching. It was a it was a commercial came on, and I seen like it was two silverback gorillas, and they were just beating on their chest and just <laughs> grabbing each other and just slaying each other around. So I feel like when you play D line, you should kind of have that mentality, like just knock knock them back. That's what gorillas do; they knock back. So I feel like that was me, and that's how. I, that's why I need to hold myself to. So yeah, myself the gorilla. And did you feel like there were other gorillas? And that's why you had to be the gorilla, like the Ohio State, like the all caps. You had to be the gorilla. Nah, see, I don't feel like it's <laughs> other gorillas. I feel like I'm the only gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so you talked about being, a, you are very much a, a Florida guy, your family, deep roots in Polk County. I imagine you've not spent a ton of time in the cold. Uh, mm. The place that you're going this weekend gets very, very cold this time of year. Uh, mm. How how do you deal with cold? What's that going to be like going up there? Um, I just play, honestly. I don't really worry about, worry about the weather too much. I just put on the long sleeve and just get ready to play. I just know this game right here is a real important for us to win, so I'm not really too into the cold weather or anything. I'm just trying to play. As a Florida guy, what, like, what temperature is cold for you? Like, when it gets to what, what degree are you like, oh, man, that's cold? I don't know. How, however it was today uh, in Florida, <laughs> I think it was like 50 or 60. I feel like that's cold. It's chilly. That's pretty good. That, that's cold. But especially, you know, some some Florida people say if it's below 70, that's cold. Then there's people from New York. Yeah. It's like if it's not 20, they're not even putting on jackets. So that's why, you know, it all depends where you're from. All depends where yeah, you're I from. Yeah, I said that's cold for me. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that this game this weekend being important. Um, talk about, you know, what you guys are doing to, to stay motivated, to stay hungry. It's obviously been a tough stretch. Everybody knows that. How have you stayed focused and continue driving toward this goal of, of finishing the season strong? Uh, I would say just wanting to win. Like, I, my my drive and team drive has just always been win each week. It's almost like you, we, we lost some games and some games that we were supposed to win. And, and I feel like none of the games that we actually lost, we, we actually lost uh, by the other team just coming in and just pounding us and just beating us and just being a better team. I feel like a lot of the games we we actually just beat ourselves. So each week, I just I think that we just actually just coming in and just trying to win each week, and, and that's all. Uh, that's been our drive and it's been our motive every week, just winning each week. Not too too much worried about who we play next week or are we gonna get a bowl game or what bowl game we are gonna go to or who we. I feel it's just always been just win each week and just being a Florida Gator. Well, Grimon, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, and we uh, we wish you a lot of luck as you finish the season strong. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.